to another Emlex podcast. Today we're coming to you from Emlex's Brussels offices at the heart of the city's European quarter. My name's James Paniki, and as Emlex's Brussels managing editor, I usually discourage journalists from writing about clocks, watches, or any device that might draw attention to the passage of time and, by implication, my own mortality. This advice is routinely ignored by Matthew Newman, our senior correspondent who covers EU mergers and competition. Matthew is a reporter who is seemingly unfazed by the prospect of our short lives appearing meaningless as we gaze into eternity. This explains why he keeps returning to the legal fight involving Swiss luxury watchmakers as they defend what they see as their right to deny independent repairers spare parts. The brands, which include Rolex and Swatch, say they're entitled to choose who they give their spare parts to and have been fighting a legal battle against the independent watch repairers since 2008. Talk about staring into eternity. Matthew Newman, hello. Hello. Now, we'll get to the latest developments in just a moment, but first let's recap. Who are these independent repairers and what do they want? These are small shops, and if you go into any city centre, you might find one or two of these still left over. Um, they're, they're usually uh, independent people, meaning they're very small operations. And if you go in there and you want your watch fixed, um, you'll probably get service uh, with a smile. But uh, you may not get service that, uh, for the big watchmakers. And that is because the big watchmakers, the luxury goods makers, they do not want these small independent repairers to be handling their watches. Mm. And it's quite simple. It's about quality control. So they feel that a watch, which you might spend, let's say, three or 4,000 euros on, must be repaired by an authorized dealer. And so as a result, they're not making the spare parts available, which means if you go to one of these small shop independent uh, repairers, they might be able to, say, replace a battery, but if they need to do work that's more sophisticated, they simply can't do it because they don't have the parts. Exactly. Okay, well, so what's the problem? So they're, they're defending, obviously, uh, quality. They're, they're claiming that this is all about defending the, the, the brand and the quality associated with those brands. Uh, the uh, independent repairers are saying, no, look, that's, that's not good enough. And they, they're saying that this is really an issue of competition. Yeah, so the antitrust law gets involved because we're talking about a uh, supply and distribution issue. So in those cases, you have something called um, selective distribution. Um, we've talked about this before, and this is about goods. Uh, let's say if you're a luxury goods maker and you want you have handbags and you only want certain shops to sell those handbags, the luxury goods makers can have very specific criteria on how those handbags are sold. They could say you must have a brick and mortar shop, you must have qualified staff, and you must have a certain look and feel to maintain this uh, luxury uh, brand. And, and, and that is in, indeed an issue which we've been covering Absolutely. quite separately, the, 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 the idea of luxury good makers being able to stop online sales absolutely. if they want to. So it's, it's part it's, of that It's, it's the absolutely part of that. And what makes this case interesting is that it's really about control over your quality. So let's say if, in a worst-case scenario, a, someone comes in with a Rolex mm. and the independent repairer says, sure, I can fix that, no problem, and gets some sort of, let's say, dodgy or counterfeit um, spare part, and you think that your watch is repaired, 
but it's actually not, and then it gets broken down again, and you have to go back to the shop, and then it, it finally just, it never works. You're going to think, possibly, yeah, that, that it's not the repairer's uh, fault, it's the actual watch that is a fault, and that's going to diminish the image of the luxury good. But, but I mean, let me be devil's advocate. The other point of view here is that these are the big companies who are simply saying, we want the monopoly of the, the repairs on our own products, and we're trying to cut out these people who are legitimately competing. Absolutely. So let's not be naive about this. It is about money and about control. So let's say you buy something for three or 4,000 euros, and you are willing to pay hundreds of euros to have it fixed, who's going to get that money? So the way that the um, luxury goods companies have organized this is quite simple. They have authorized repairs, and they say that uh, anyone can, can join, but the independent repairs say, well, your criteria are too stringent to join this, and it may cost like 30,000 euros to actually set up a, 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 an immaculate uh, shop that has all the, and you have to be trained. And so they say these independent repairs can't possibly uh, afford that. Mm -hmm. So the court steps in. So the, where, where are we with all this? This is, this is a complaint that was went to the European Commission, as you said, dating from 2008, and it was rejected. Mm. Uh, look, we should clarify that obviously Switzerland is not a member of the European Union, but we're talking about European laws because many of these independent repairers are in the EU, is that right? Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of them are, there's the Swiss companies like Swatch and the Swiss manufacturers. Uh, some of the leading uh, antitrust lawyers in, in Brussels worked on this case. So it was taken very, very seriously. It was, the, the complaint was rejected. It was rejected because the um, commission found that there was no um, community interest, and it was sort of rejected out of hand. The um, watch repairers said, wait a second, you didn't even look at it. You didn't even look at the market properly. Uh, and they won. So this is really where it gets interesting and unusual. Yes, but, but let's clarify what they won. Where did they win? Yeah, they, so they won at the general court back in 2011. And all that happened is that the um, court told the commission, go back and do a better job. So the commission was obliged to reopen the case. They looked at it again, and they found there was no, uh, what they say, a limited likelihood of uncovering a, an abuse, and the whole thing was uh, shut down. Now, then the court uh, was asked yet again, uh, was that a proper decision? Uh, you can see that they're very, very uh, adamant about getting a, a decision here. Um, and just a couple of days ago, we had a decision by the general court yet again, saying um, it was uh, the, the commission had looked at this properly. And what was interesting is that the court is is always mindful of uh, its precedents. So it cited a very very well known case um, involving cosmetics in France, the Pierre Faber case. And they said um, the luxury goods companies cannot just ban uh, these parts, the supply of the parts, to protect the brand. There has to be some other reason to do that. And that's where they said quality control is important. Mm -hmm. So they said basically protecting the this, this system. And so that's why if all these um, luxury goods companies are breathing a big sigh of relief, because they want to maintain the quality of their 
uh, watches. And look, the reason why we're talking about this case is because it's an interesting one, isn't it? When we talk about the content, and that's what we've covered up until now, obviously the luxury uh, watchmakers in this case have won. This is a victory for them. But when it comes to the, the technicality of it, when it comes to the actual procedure, it has sounded a few alarm bells for the commission. Explain why. Yeah, so that's an interesting point because um, lawyers in Brussels uh, frequently cite this case. They say, oh, well, we have a complaint uh, and the commission must take a good look at it because there's a, a risk that uh, the complainant could file an appeal. And that is an extraordinary waste of everyone's time if uh, complaints are filed and the commission just sort of dismisses them out of hand, then they have to go to the the court, uh, the general court, and it's just years and years and years of, of wasted time. So now the commission is actually quite thorough when they reject a complaint. Um, they actually draft like a 15-page rejection decision. And, and that is as a result of the watchmakers? Yes, yes, yes. They, they're very, very thorough. Um, so when a decision has to be made at the European Commission, someone sort of shouts at, at a bunch of officials, remember the Swiss watchmakers? Remember the Swiss market? And, <laughs> and they also try to convince uh, complainants, oh, can you just withdraw your complaint so we don't have to draft a decision? You know, that, that's also another tactic that the Commission used. And is it all over now? I mean, is there... Well, um, over, no, because there's always a possibility of going to the EU's highest court, which is the Court of Justice. Um, yes, I, I, was, I was told yesterday that that is a distinct possibility in this case. Um, so we may be talking about this in a couple more years. It's incredible that uh, independent watch repairers would feel this passionate about it, but they argue uh, quite legitimately that their livelihood is at stake here, their, yeah. their very existence is at stake. Exactly. So the watch, I mean, they, they, when I spoke to them uh, a couple years ago, they, they really said this was an existential issue for them. Uh, if you go on the high street uh, in any city in Europe, you will see fewer and fewer watch repairs, and they used to be very, very prevalent. So what's happened in the last 30, 40 years? The um, watches have become more sophisticated. Um, these are really, really expensive uh, devices, and the luxury goods companies, they want to make sure that they stay that way. And one way of doing that is to maintaining this control. Um, you know, it's bad luck for the watch repairers. Um, they, they still can work, but they can't get these big, big brands unless they follow these very, very strict criteria. That was another point about this. All the, This criteria is also very transparent. You know exactly how to get into this program. It's open to everybody. And so the court said, look, you know, as long as they're clear about what their criteria is, are, you can do this. It's, it's, it's absolutely legitimate under EU law to have strict criteria. So Matthew, we could be talking about this again. Absolutely, and I look forward to buying a very expensive watch. Yes, I think you deserve it at the end of all of this reporting. Matthew Newman is a senior MLEX correspondent based here in Brussels, and he covers competition and mergers in the EU. And his most recent instalment in this saga is titled Watchmakers May Restrict Parts Supply to Only Approved Repairers, EU Judges Rule. You can listen to more podcasts from MLEX bureaus around the world right here at the MLEX website. I'm James Panicki, and from everyone here at MLEX Brussels, thank you very much for your company. Bye for now.